That's all part of the mysterious Oriental East. You know, it's funny how, how uh, I've heard people, you know, people say uh, for a long time that the Western world dehumanizes you, you know. You've heard that expression many times. They hippie times, and they drift towards the Eastern Oriental religions and stuff, which are supposed to be totally human. And of course, we're totally inhuman. And uh, Naturally, of course, the guy who's making the statements always excludes himself from that. He, uh, he's not part of Western civilization. He's a victim of Western civilization. And so uh, I was uh, particularly fascinated the other day when I came across this little example of the uh, humanization of the East. Would you please, uh, if you will, a little... Uh, that's it. Oh, mysterious... Oh, inscrutable East. Special Rotos report from Tokyo. Bowing robots and beaming dummies have made their debut in Japan because a manpower shortage has not left enough human beings to carry on the Japanese tradition of politeness. Now have officially polite robots and dummies. A leading Tokyo department store has installed dummies in place of pretty young girls who used to stand at foot of escalators, leading customers with bow. The customers might otherwise feel insecure after 50 years of escalator girls, a spokesman for store explained, as witnessed now, fully transistorized and fully guaranteed bowing dummies and robots made by Sony and Panasonic. <laughs> Now, I just want to tell you, can you, you know, we just sort of accept that, you know, just say, ha, ha, ha. But can you imagine the hoopla that would be in the American underground press, or the above-ground press for that matter, if Macy's installs this smiling robot floor walker, you know, who's, who stands there by the notions counter and just smiles when you come in. He just sort of smiles on. And, uh, and next to the... Uh, Next to the escalator, of course, they would have to have a smiling robot who is there to listen to your complaints. And he just smiles and bows all the time as you're railing and yelling and swinging your fists in the middle of the air. But uh, now this is uh, all part of the mysterious East. There's no question about it. <laughs> okay, now, please. Number one. Let's sneak in in there. Good. Oh, <laughs> 
you, thank you, thank you. I thank you very much. That very good. That was not bad, was it? That's a good sound. That clears the pipes. Uh, that, of course, that's pure art. And uh, naturally, the uh, average hoi polloi is not prepared to accept pure art. Ow! Ooh, there it goes. <laughs> that's our, oh no! Do you know that? Now, now, now don't don't get alarmed here. Do you know that that in uh, in a in the repertoire of a truly good Jews harp player, that he uses what they call the tooth smack. You remember that? I'm serious. Now listen carefully. Hear that hard, biting, driving sound? Pure art again. By the way, speaking of pure art, we would like to salute uh, an artist who just won a prize. You know, not every artist... Uh, when he wins a prize, uh, is aware that he's about to win one. Uh, in fact, that's one of the most uh, uh, delightful experiences of all, is to win a prize when you don't think you're about to do it. Did I ever tell you about the time just, uh, oh, gee, oh, let's see, it was uh, four, five, uh, 640 years ago now, almost to the day, uh, I was in a sack race, and uh, I was with Alec Joshua. Ooh, I tell you, the, the other day I, I was watching TV. Incidentally, the wide, wide world of sports has neglected a great area of sports. You know, usually they have uh, demolition derbies, uh, grandma endurance walking races, all those, you know, those exciting events. But they do not cover patrol boy picnics. You know, the, the, you know what a patrol boy is, don't you? Yeah? You don't know what... Of course, you call them uh, junior crossing guards. I mean, in the Faith, New York, Eastern uh, lexicon, we call them patrol boys. You call them patrol boys? Well, I guess Al doesn't. Uh, that uh, I'm, you're, you're talking to an ex-lieutenant of patrol boys. Oh, yes, I'm an ex-kid pig. And, uh, oh, absolutely, I used to bust my friends. And you know that we had the, we had the power when we were, were patrol boys. That was one of the great things that ever happened to me in my early days. I'm just sitting in class one day. I remember how it happened. I'm sitting in class, and, uh, you know, just goofing off. You know how it is. And you're just sitting in class there. And all of a sudden, there was a phone, you know, a phone call. We had a phone up by the wall there. And uh, the phone rings, and the teacher goes, it was Miss Robinette. I was in fourth grade. And uh, the phone rings. Miss Robinette goes up and answers the phone. And she comes back, and she points to me and says, to the office. And instantly, of course, my guts turned to uh, pablum. I mean, because that was, the, you know, that was the it. That was their talk. To be called to the office was the end of the ball game. usually. It was a very exciting moment. So I'm called to the office. I get down to the office. There's about 25 other kids down there, the whole crowd there. And uh, Miss Matson, who was the head of the office, Miss Matson says, uh, Miss Norton wants to talk to all of you. And uh, Miss Norton, was, of course, was our dynamic uh, lady principal. She wore this purple steel dress. And uh, she had this steel uh, eye about her. Oh, man. And Miss Norton comes out of her office, and she says, boys and girls. Oh, no, there are no girls here, are there? Well, boys. Because she just automatically, you know, all teachers automatically say boys and girls. And uh, she says, boys, uh, you have all been selected to be members of the patrol. You will all be patrol boys as of this afternoon. And then she began to appoint various offices. And uh, she pointed, uh, Schwartz was made a sergeant. Yeah, we had actual rank, you know, guys in charge of various things. And I couldn't believe it. I was made a lieutenant, which meant that uh, I was in charge of a full platoon. Thing. 
And, uh, <laughs> and so that afternoon, we go out. We get out 15 minutes early, of course. And uh, you go out and you stand on the, the corner. And uh, you just stand there with your badge. They give us a belt, you know, those, that white belt they wear. And the white belt and a big silver badge. And, uh, you know, a big tin-like badge that says Patrol Boy. And uh, that was for the enlisted men. And for the commissioned officers, we got a leather belt. A leather belt with a gold badge. And uh, that was a fantastic feeling. I remember once in a while, you know, uh, uh, girls love guys in uniform, you know. There's no question about it. And uh, once in a while when I was taking a girl out, you know, on a Saturday, I'd go to, you know, the Orpheum Theater when they had triple features, Kit Carson and all that stuff. Well, I would take uh, Esther Jane over. I'd wear my uniform and just give her a thrill. And uh, <laughs> I'm not kidding. I actually did. I'd put on my leather belt, you know, with my big gold badge. Girls just flip over guys in uniforms. Well, I, I am I'm a lieutenant, see, and my job was to go around when the when various kids were out on their corner, and I was like, uh, well, like uh, well, like a, a CO. See, I would come around and make sure everything was cool, you know, and, and I would go from corner to corner and check up everything. And uh, Schwartz, who was a sergeant, uh, his job was to go with me, and so the two of us would go. Oh, boy, you talk about power, and we had the power to bust kids. I mean, if some kid wouldn't wouldn't obey us. For example, we'd take his name in his room, and the poor little kid gets like nine days in the slam. You know, of course, that meant the ec- what we called ninths. Did you ever have things called ninths? Ninth. Well, see, we had eight classes a day, eight periods, and a ninth was a ninth period, which means the kid, you know, sat in there in, in his room, and he was in, uh, he was in the purda, so he was in slam. And so uh, we, we could give a kid ninths. Well, I, we actually couldn't give a kid ninths. What we would do would turn him into the office. Saying, turn fake. And uh, about 10 minutes after he got back to school, the next day they'd call him in and say, and, and Miss Norton would have one of her henchmen. Uh, sometimes a kid would be, uh, well, uh, I, I don't like to say this in this day of permissiveness, but sometimes a kid would be, say, uh, he would be uh, given the stock. Uh, we had the stocks, you know. Where, you know what a stock is, don't you? When you sit there with your head through the hole in the wall there and they clamp your arms and people would walk around, throw eggs at them and stuff like that, you know. <laughs> Other times, uh, of course, the worst, the worst, uh, absolutely, the, the the worst, completely humiliating. Because to me, a punishment, uh, there, t- there are different kinds of punishment you, know, you can give people. For for example, one kind of punishment is uh, is simply physical punishment. You know, kick a guy in the bottom, and you know that's physical punishment. Which I I've I've watched movies. Have you ever been interested in the fact that practically a f- very few movies go by? Without there's a fist fight. Fist fights are very big in movies, and the uh, fist fights and sex scenes. <laughs> this is this is what almost any kind of movie, even a western. I mean, it doesn't make a difference what the what the movie is about. Uh, it's it, it generally it winds up with a fist fight. Some guy jumps up and says, "You can't say that about the about the." Priscilla Lane, and he bops, uh, you know, John, John Payne in the chops, and he staggers back, and he comes over and he hits Alan Ladd. And by the way, if you notice, Alan Ladd is probably the toughest guy that ever played in the movies. I mean, as far as fist fights are concerned, he never, as far as I can remember, ever made a movie without a fist fight that he didn't win. He always won his fist fights, and I guess he was about five feet three. He's a little tiny guy, you know, and he was always. I'll never forget one of the, one of the most ludicrous fist fight scenes I ever saw in my life was the fist fight scene. Between, get this, are you ready for this one? Montgomery Clift and John Wayne. 
and I don't have to ask you who won it. Can you imagine Montgomery, the late Montgomery Cliff beating up John Wayne? Well, that, that <laughs> what movie was that? I'll give, that is correct, them all. Green River. And uh, it, was, it was a fantastic fight. And, <laughs> and, and you know, I, you go through life, you go through life, uh, you can live 125 years, and in real life, you never see a fist fight. I've gone to bars, I've, I've worked, in fact, I worked down in the limelight uh, for a long time. That's a bar, you know. I worked on the limelight there for, uh, let's see, we were there three years almost, and uh, nothing. I mean, I never saw a, 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 a fight. I saw a guy get thrown out once, but never a fight. I mean, you know, where they're hitting each other with the bottles, you know, the, the, the kind of fight that's uh, in the movies all the time. And I'm sure they happen. I mean, there's no doubt about it. But uh, they happen far less frequently in real life than they do in movies. Constant battling in movies. Well, I remember one time... It, what brought this up, I, I'm, uh, you know, I'm a patrol boy, so I'm a lieutenant. And I'm walking down the street, and uh, this, this is one of the most humiliating moments of my life. And, by the way, led to a, a, a fantastically humiliating uh, penalty. Speaking of humor, this is WOR, New York, and this is your totally humiliated station. Uh, we, we <laughs> in my, you know, well, I think a little humiliation is good for a person. Now, if you look up humility... In the in the uh, in the dictionary, you'll find that humility is a good thing. Humiliation is the process of achieving humility, you know, Al, and uh, and it's good for you. I, I think there's nothing wrong with uh, you know get a little humility once in a while. And uh, this station is thoroughly chastised from time to time. I mean, it it, it really is, but uh, uh, for a lot of reasons. Hit the button. Palisade, yeah, yeah. Palisade, that's the fun. Come on, come on, come on over again. Shows and dance, shows and dance in a free. Shows the parking. Wow. Come on, come on over. Yeah, Palisades. But uh, nevertheless, I'm uh, I'm a patrol boy. See, I'm walking around the street and I'm being real official, see. And uh, would you give me a little, uh, a little, uh, you know, march, a little of that music, you know, I'd give, give some good sound. I'm walking down the street, man, I'm on top of it. I'm a sheik in I'm a lieutenant. I'm a full commissioned officer in his royal patrol boy service. Ta -ta -ta -ta. <laughs> I made it, I made it big. And yes, Marie, I'm a big shot now. I'm a, ta -ta -ta -ta. you know, I'm walking down the street. And I see a little crowd gathered up there where, where Jack Martin has been placed on patrol by guess who? Me. Martin is up there. Martin's a little guy, see? And uh, Martin is on patrol at the corner of 165th and Kennedy Avenue. And I see there's a little action going on up there. Well, I walk up to see what's going on, and I see Martin, my patrol boy. Now, remember, I'm a commissioned officer, see? My patrol boy is in a fight with another guy from another class. I didn't even know who this other guy was, see? So, being a commissioned officer, I had two things open, uh, you know, two choices open. One, I could turn and run like, you know, Billy be damned, uh, which uh, I, was, I was tempted to do. But two, I could wade right in. Well, since the guy, you know, looked about my size, I decided to wade right in. Well, I waded right in. Well, I got a shot. I want to tell you, I got a shot. See this tooth here? Have you ever wondered about this tusk that sticks out here at the side? 
I've got a tusk, you know, that sticks right out. Something very embarrassing sometimes, you know. But the, it sticks out. Well, that's because of the shot. This kid got me up. Oh, did he give me a shot? Well, I hit him one, see, and we are now rolling around on the ground. Me and this kid, Jack Martin, were rolling around the ground. Well, along comes Farkas. Well, now, we had, we had, Farkas was a resident bully. And uh, we had three or four resident bullies, Harold Dale, Grover Dale, rather, Farkas, uh, three or four other kids. And Farkas was really, he was, he was, he was it. I'll never forget the time Farkas one time stood up in class. One of the great symbolic gestures. You know, we always remember symbolic gestures. Well, Farkas stood up in class with Miss Nelson one day. And, of course, Farkas, he was way up in the front, see? And tough, oh, man, he was tough. Farkas had a soul, believe me, that had a crew cut. Yeah, he, had, he, was, he was tough. Al Farkas. <laughs> and his father, by the way, was, was a steel worker. Of course, almost every kid's father was a steel worker in this, in this class. But his father was a legendary steel worker. There are certain steel workers that, you know, rise above others. And Al Farkas' father was a melter. Now, if you don't know what a melter is, it doesn't mean anything to you. But let's put it this way. A melter in a steel mill is a cleanup hitter. Right? If he was playing, if he was bowling, he'd be an anchor man. Well, here he is. You know, his father is, is built like a Sherman tank. And Al is, of course, studying under the master. And uh, he's, he's got this uh, covered with freckles. Angry-looking kid. Well, one day, right in the middle of class, Farkas, just out of the blue, he stood up and he had a pencil. He had one of these yellow pencils. You know, number two, Ticonderoga. And uh, he stands up and he just takes a pencil. Pop! He breaks it in half. Well, Miss Nelson looked at him. She says, leave the room. And he just stood there. And of course, there's dead silence. Oh, class. Dead, stygian silence. I said, leave the room. And it was a test of iron will. Because every boy, especially every boy, now, I don't know what the girls thought, but every boy in that class, this was what, what, what they would call today a dynamic confrontation. Because Al Farkas was the most feared kid in the Warren G. Harding school among every boy, all the way up to sixth grade. See, the school only went to sixth grade. See, every kid from sixth grade on down to, you know, kids that hadn't even gone to school yet, Al Farkas was it. And Miss Nelson was taking him on. Leave the room. Farkas took his two halves of his number two Tiagandaroga pencil, and he stuck one half in the inkwell, like that. And he took the other half and went, busted it in half. She says, all right. And she walked back to Farkas and grabbed him by the back of his shirt. She says, I didn't want to do this. Incidentally, Miss Nelson was a little compact lady. She was about, oh, probably five feet one. Maybe went 110 pounds, you know, when she was holding her bowling ball at ready. She says, I didn't want to do this. And Farkas is now about, let's see, that was... Uh, Fifth grade, Farkas was uh, six feet four, weighed that uh, 290. And she comes up and she just grabs him by the shirt, the back of the shirt, not the collar. She grabs him back, like around where they 
where the shirt tail goes down into this pants, see? And she pulls the shirt tail out real quick. I don't know where she ever learned this trick. And twists it. Now she's got him by the gut. By the shirt tail. And he can't turn around. Every time he turns around, he's got uh, Miss Nelson hanging on the back. Now, I don't know who she studied under. But it was one of the... It, well, I'll tell you, it was right out of a hockey game. You know how these hockey guys pull the shirt over? She had him hard patch. She twists it like that. And she's got to twist it around her, her wrist and around her fist. Try that. It really works. And here he is. His arms are snapped back like that. He can't move. And she just pushes him. Just marches him right out. And she says, I said, leave the room. Now, she takes him to the door, opens the door with the other hand, and there's this little lady. She shoves him out. Well, there was one brief instant we could all see Farkas's face. She shoves him out the door, closes the door, and it had glass panes in it, see? Farkas looks around, and you saw these two big blue eyes that were radiating fear. And Farkas did not come back to class the rest of the day. He was gone. Miss Nelson went back to her desk and says, Now, let's get back to that question that I had just asked. Never mentioned it. Talk about cool. I'll always remember Miss Nelson because she walked right up and did it. Well, Farkas was kind of vaguely, strangely changed from that day on. He had been humiliated. Listen, there's nothing like a little shot of humiliation to change a man's self-image. Well, I don't know where Farkas is, is, you know, where he is today. I mean, probably, you know, he's, he's probably a melter in some steel mill someplace. But I'm sure that Farkas remembers the day that Miss Nelson shucked him like a large chunk of corn. Just stripped that, uh, <laughs> took those leaves right off of him. Well, Farkas, from that day on, was changed. And he was quiet. Well, on this day, I am fighting away with this kid. I am rolling around in the ground. Jack Martin is rolling around with the ground. There's about 400 kids cheering us on, and incidentally, I'm wearing my leather belt with my gold badge, a full lieutenant in full uniform, dress uniform that day. And, uh, and Martin is wearing his white belt with his silver badge. We are rolling on the ground. I don't know what, what, the, you know what it's about. I have no idea what the fight's about. Well, suddenly, out of the crowd comes Farkas. Farkas just dives into the crowd, into the fight. And the next thing I know, I'm getting a shot in the eye. Somebody's kicking me in the head. Farkas is hitting the other guy. It's just a general melee. And we are rolling around. Farkas is in the middle of it. We are rolling around when it all ended. Miss Norton ends the fight. Pow. Well, it was that moment that I learned humiliation. Miss Norton takes me back to school with Jack Martin, with Farkas. By the way, nobody argued with Norton, even Farkas. The other kid, I remember his name, Cannon. Jimmy Cannon. Jimmy Cannon, yeah. The four of us go back to her, her office, and I am covered with dirt, cinders, stickers, crud sticking out of my hair. My leather belt is all scratched. Jack Martin's got a bloody nose. His white belt is all cruddy. How many of you remember having been in a fight with your kid? Farkas was totally defiant. This other kid, Jimmy Cannon, was he was a, he was a kind of a square, pudgy kid. 
Another guy with a crew cut. Mine, you know. And and here we are standing in front of the desk. When Jimmy Cannon came out with, a, with the most outrageous... I'll tell you, there are some people that are masters of chutzpah. Even when they don't know, they are. Masters of the outrageous big lie. We stand in front of the desk. Miss Norton says, Now I want to know all about this. With that, Cannon hollers, He started it! Pointing directly to me. I started it! Well, I don't... You know, I... I uh, I've always had trouble with my temper. I have a temper. I'm, I'll, I'll honestly tell you, I've got a temper. Uh, I, there are times my mother used to call me... Uh, in fact, she used to bug me with that, with this line. Do any of you remember a character called the, the Terrible Tempered Mr. Bangs? You remember that character? You remember what, what, what comic strip he was in? Well, she used to call me the Terrible Tempered Mr. Bangs. And she was always being funny, but well, I'll tell you, when I really flipped, when I was, you know, laying on the floor kicking my shoes off, she wasn't making jokes. My mom, <laughs> she used to, that was another story. So... When Cannon said to me, he did it, he started it, I just sort of, I don't know, I just flipped. I hit him in the gut. I just went, wham! I remember hitting him right smack in the stomach. I mean, turn as hard as I could, I hit him right in the stomach. And he was unprotected. He was standing there. He didn't expect it. See, what he expected was me to say, oh, no, I didn't, I did not. I hit him so hard. I hit him as hard as I could. He doubled over, and Miss Norton came from around the back of her desk like a shot. That was the last day that I was a lieutenant in the patrol. They took my leather belt. They took my gold badge. I was drummed out of the service for conduct unbecoming a commissioned officer and for striking a civilian and for uh, aiding and abetting a known rioter, Jack Martin. Well, there I was. I mean, it's, it's really embarrassing because, you know, it was, it was a big, big thing in my life being, a, you know, being a lieutenant. And then the second blow struck. Miss Norton sentenced me and Jack Martin to wash the walls of the boys' john on the first floor in the middle of classes. We had buckets full of soap with GI brushes and there we were with all the kids coming in you know they'd come in and of course there's a lot of stuff written on the walls our job was to wash the walls I remember the guys coming in and looking at us never forget that humiliation all of thy sting is endless to be reduced to the dust from which man has sprung I was bugged you know, a funny thing about humiliation, it can work two ways. On the one hand, it can make you a better man. On the other hand, it can turn you into an outlaw. Which way did I go? Well, let's put it this way. Farkas and I became friends. Let's put it that way. Now, I, I, uh, I like to think I've outgrown that. 
I like to think that that, that humiliation is one of life's little lessons that one learns on the yellow brick road of existence, on the way to the fantastic holy grail of total success. But uh, on the other hand, I have been told by other people it was a good thing that happened. Well, I tell you this about it. I was going into the sixth grade. Now, remember this a whole year or so later. I was no longer a patrol boy. In fact, I took to baiting patrol boys. I mean, you know, there's nothing worse, friends, than a rogue cop. Now, you know what is it, a rogue cop? Well, and I'm, I'm, believe me, a rogue cop is a cop who's gone bad. And I took, I'll never forget what I used to do. For, among other things, I used to do this as a rogue cop. We were under absolute unbreakable orders to never cross the street except on the street corners, right? I would take to standing in the middle of the block when there's a lot of traffic and hollering stuff like this. Hey, Milton! Hey, you fake! Hey, Milton! Jack Milton would be down at the end of the street there on patrol duty. Hey, Milton! Hey! And Milton would look and zap! I'd run across between a bread truck and a hopmobile. In the middle of the block, baiting him deliberately, defying him to turn me in. I am here tonight to confess my sins. I am not advocating illegality on the part of any of you. I'm just merely saying that this is what happened, for better or for ill. And then, going into my late sixth grade, just before we were to graduate from the Warren G. Harding School, it was a hot summer day, late in early March, May, maybe, something like one of those very hot days you get occasionally in the spring. And it's my last year at the Warren G. Harding School. And everybody's all excited, you know. We're going to get out of Warren G. Harding School. We're going to go on to the big school and all that stuff. I'm sitting in the class there. Remember whose class it was. Miss Alice Smith was my sixth grade teacher. By the way, I always insist that we call her Miss Alice Smith. Apparently she was very sensitive about being one of 14,937,000,000 Smiths. So you always had to say Miss Alice Smith. Miss Alice Smith was a tall, very thin, elderly lady with dewlaps that came down to her chin. It was a hot day. I'm sitting in the back of the room. When the phone rang. Miss Alice Smith goes to the telephone, hangs up, turns, looks in my direction and says, to the office. To the office. Again. A rogue cop being summoned to the office. An outlaw. A person who had gone from bad to worse. In fact, you know what I did one day that year? We had cleanup week, right? Every year in March, we used to have a thing called cleanup week. You know what I did in cleanup week? I don't have to tell you. I sailed paper airplanes 
out of the third floor of the school with Jossaway, Farkas, and Grover Dill, we sailed paper airplanes out over the play yard where everybody was out there on their hands and knees picking up whatever kids had left behind, Pepsi-Cola tops. And then when they came up to catch us, we hid. A no-good think. I go down to the office expecting to get, you know, something. I walk in, and who's in the office? Me? Jack Martin? And Jimmy Cannon? The minute we walked into the office, Jimmy Cannon started to cry. Jimmy Cannon cried. You ever, you remember when a kid, you remember kids crying in school? Jimmy Cannon is crying in the office. Miss Norton says to Jimmy Cannon, "Tell Gene and Jack what you told me." Yeah, I started a fight. He is confessing. Miss Norton said, as of this afternoon, you are restored to the patrol boys. And Gene, you are a lieutenant. Jack, I'm making you a sergeant. I got my leather belt back with the gold badge. Jack got his white belt back with the silver badge. And it wasn't until... Maybe six, eight years later, I discovered why Jimmy Cannon confessed his crimes. You know why? His mother made him do it. She heard him telling his cousin, Howard, how he got the two of us kicked off the patrol boy. And he is sitting in the front bedroom of his house telling this kid Howard that, laughing it up, and his mother got so mad, she grabbed him by the behind, belted him about 19 times, and dragged him down to school and had him confess. Well, I don't have to tell you what happened. You probably already guessed it. I went out that afternoon, inspected my patrol boys. I became the most G.I. patrol boy that the Warren G. Harding School has ever seen for the last eight weeks of my school career at the Warren G. Harding School. As a matter of fact, Jack Martin alone, in one month, set a record for issuing ninths. Since that time, of course, I realize how shaky indeed are the stalks of justice that any minute now someone can falsely accuse you of God knows what. Any minute now. You could get tonight in your mailbox an anonymous letter accusing you of who knows what. And you know what would happen? People would believe it. People would believe it. And where would you be? That's right. You'd be out there with the rest of us skulking in the darkness. The outlaws, the mavericks. 
the bad guys. I think one of the great fears everybody has, a secret fear, is the anonymous accusation. In fact, Franz Kafka based much of his writing career on that. Did you ever hear the story of... Eh, K? <laughs> if you will, please, that's getting scary, please. Give me a little far side, a little mystical music. Exorcising the devils. Just clearing the cobwebs out of the corners. By the way, I saw a patrol boy the other day. Standing on the corner there, you know, he's got his badge. The badges and the belts are almost identical to the ones that we had. I haven't changed a bit. I, I like I like uh, tradition. You know, the old regimental uniform there. And uh, I almost went up to him. You know, I, just, I, I was tempted to go up to him and say, uh, Hello, buddy. How's it going on the corner? Find out what he had to say. You know? Tell him, you know, can I, can I sit in for a bit? Let me wear the belt. You know, an old veteran. At the, I remember those afternoons... Uh, for anybody who's ever been a patrol boy remembers those long afternoons when the school is not yet out. You're standing all by yourself on the corner. The sun is beating down. There's a curious sense of power just by being out when everybody else is in. It's an important difference. It's much more fun to be out, friends, than in. Depends, of course, on what you're in. But I remember standing on that corner one afternoon, the sun hanging down. And I picked up a stone, a rock, and I threw it up towards the telephone pole. And then another thing happened, which even today is, a, is an undiscovered crime in the annals of the Indiana Criminal Investigation Division. That's another story. <laughs> oh, yes, we have many things all of us to answer for. Every one of us. 
Deep down inside of each one of us is the rogue. The itinerant, the fugitive maverick. The breaker of the canons. The buster of the rules and regulations. Still remember those paper airplanes sailing out of the darkness. Hey, that should be about over, honey. You gave me two minutes at least five minutes ago. There we go. Bring it up. There, it's nice. Quiet and cool. What's the matter? Oh, oh. It's not easy, is it? No. Don't worry. Don't worry. All things come to he who, uh... I was on the tip of my tongue. What is it? Just on the tip of my tongue. All things come to he who, uh... Nah, I can't remember it now. There's another... Well, of course, there's another expression that covers it, so... As long as I can't remember it, I'll give you this one, then. Uh... Nothing... Gain, nothing, uh... I was right on the tip of my tongue. Do you know that one, Al? Nothing gain... Yes, I do know one. A penny save is a son of a gun. I guess it's the it's the it's the pollution. My brain, certain polyesters involved with certain uh, sulfur compounds, rots the very fabric of the brain itself. Oh, yeah. But then again, on the other hand, they say that certain nitrates in the air, if breathed deeply and heavily enough, act as a strong mental fertilizer, which means that your mind even works better. So one cancels out the other, we're right back where we started. <laughs> A rogue cop. <laughs>